just a quick word of warning before we begin. Today's episode contains language some listeners may find offensive. We'll be discussing quotes and articles concerning anti-female sentiments expressed by Mark Driscoll of the now infamous Mars Hill Church. You may want to experience this episode alone before sharing it with younger listeners. Back in the early 2000s, Judy Abalafia was ready to tie the knot with a man who introduced her to God. She was an unconventional fit for a Christian wife. According to a salon interview, Judy had spent her single years touring with rock bands like Bush and Candlebox. And she was a non-believer before meeting her husband, Ari. But after immersing herself in Christian culture and devoting herself to her husband and to her God, Judy was ready to take what she described as her wifely duties. The man who would officiate her wedding was none other than Mark Driscoll, the charismatic pastor, the founder of Mars Hill Church of Seattle, Washington. I'm going to take a moment now and read to you some of the comments Mark Driscoll posted online just a few days before Judy's wedding. We live in a completely pussified nation. It all began with Adam, the first of the pussified nation, who kept his mouth shut and watched everything fall headlong down the slippery slide of hell slash feminism when he shut his mouth and listened to his wife, who thought Satan was a good theologian. His rants get cruder and crueler for another 600 words, calling the men of the nation homoerotic, worship-loving mama's boy, sensitive, emasculated, neutered, raised by bitter, penis-envying, burned feminist, single mothers. This was the man who would unite Judy and Ari in the eyes of God. This was also the man who would franchise 15 churches across four states and deliver weekly sermons to a quarter a million listeners online and over 12,000 congregates in person before he was eventually removed by a coalition of his own pastors. Or as Judy told Como News in 2014, it's not okay for him to be abusive or arrogant or prideful. A lot of people are calling for him to step down permanently. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. My name is Todd. I'm the extrovert, and I'm joined by researcher, writer, and introvert, Joe Anthony. Good evening, and you forgot my other title, Ardent Worshipper. (laughs) Good to see you, Joe. Good to see you. Today, we're talking about the most dangerous three-letter word to any organization or business, ego. In today's world of personality-driven politics, talking heads, Twitter influencers, and superstar CEOs, ego seems like a hack to get ahead in life. 
But what happens when ego gets out of hand? Who brings us back down to reality after egos lift us up to the stratosphere? And if ego is so bad for us, why does it seem like it rewards celebrities and business leaders? We use the rise and fall of Mars Hill Megachurch, a Seattle area church, and it's now disgraced rock star pastor Mark Driscoll as an example of how ego can get out of hand. And we use science to dispel a few myths about ego that TV and news have inflated until they are out of proportion. First, we'll bust the notion that ego can get you whatever your heart desires. Or, in Mark Driscoll's case, the ego can lead you to fame and fortune. Then we'll talk about the misconception we all share about ego. The notion that our own ego would be reined in before our, our personal behavior got out of hand. Oh, and here's a spoiler for you. More ego leads to more risk. Finally, we'll explore how you can tame our ego once we've identified it as our own personal 300-pound gorilla. But first, we're going to look at how a pastor like Mark Driscoll could be toppled at the height of his fame and power. Now, this this episode really resonates with me because I lived in Seattle when this whole this thing that we're going to go over went down. And I was I knew of a couple of people that went to this church. I didn't go to this church, but I went to another mega church similar size in the same city. So there's a lot of gossiping back and forth, and we get members from that church will come to our church. So, so you're like the neighbor looking over the fence at somebody's <laughs> house fire. Judging the other church, of, well, who's more spiritual or not, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so Dris- Driscoll was passionate, intense, and he, he was like a real-life guy. He wasn't perfect, but that's what attracted a lot of people to him. He wasn't on a spiritual high horse. He had a reputation for being arrogant, um, but he also made fun of himself. His humor was kind of like a comedian, like we talked about before, kind of self-deprecating. Okay. Um, he talked about dating, marriage, and, and sex with frankness, openness. Uh, he protected a kind of broish swagger. He, so was, he, he was really like down to earth with the people then, or when he started at least. He was. He seemed like somebody you grew up with. He didn't seem like he was better than anybody else. He made mistakes, and he, and he talked about them. He made fun of himself all the time. He was like a hipster. He had expensive shoes, designer uh, jeans on, perfect hair. He was kind of in style, you know, kind of hippie Jesus kind of guy. It's like the first pastor you can imagine longboarding to his church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and he made people feel alive. You know, you and I both being public speakers, we know how strong the spoken word is. Right. And he he would put his whole heart and soul into his sermons, and he bring his congregation to tears. He was a great public speaker. Okay. Well, that, that seems to be important for a lot of this ego talk is, is our examples, the, the people that have big egos, they almost kind of earn it. Like they start out with actual skill first. Well, and, and there's something I want to kind of, I, I want to bring up because a lot of people don't know about this and I didn't know about it. So I started studying this years ago, but mega church pastors, um, you know, a lot of times their salaries are on the two fifty to $400,000 range. So we think, oh, this guy's just a pastor at a church. No, they get $400,000 salary plus the books they sell to their congregation plus a house for free. There's a lot of benefits. So these people are more like CEOs and they're celebrities and they're seen as in this superior spiritual way. So they got a lot of power in a lot of different ways. That that makes a lot of sense. So if you take the, I mean, like 
in a sort of physical sense, if you take God out of the picture, it really is somebody who is like leading a large group of a certain number. He has underlings and he's managing it. And it all really just comes down to spoken word. So it is almost like a CEO. And he's the brand of his church and he's a brand of his own business. So he does speaking engagements and goes on TV shows and gets more famous and gets more money. So there, it's a real thing. Okay. Now we ask the most important question. What's so bad about having a big ego? I mean, if you've earned it, why not enjoy it? So there's a character I kept thinking about while doing this research. Have you ever seen the show 30 Rock? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's been a few years, but yes, I remember that show. I, I have to relate everything we research to TV shows. That's how my <laughs> mind works. A kid who watched too much TV his whole life and still does. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a, there's a character on 30 Rock, uh, Jack, and he's their boss uh, with Donahue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I always wanted that ego. Like, like I am actually weirdly jealous of the way he sort of goes through life. And I always thought, wouldn't that protect you? Like, like that kind of ego, <laughs> that, that, you know, outward expression, wouldn't that be almost like carrying a shield? Like, yeah. like you, anything somebody says to you that's negative, anytime somebody doubts you, you could just bounce it off. Like your, your ego would just buff it back. Right. He was just so clever and polished. Yeah. 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 Was, he was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I dug into the research on this and I found out that uh, th there's one episode of 30 Rock where like somebody proves him wrong or his ego takes a fall and it's absolutely crushing. And that to me, that, that fictional moment in a, a goofy TV show, that came through in this research in, in a very real way. So for this, uh, I went to uh, Utrecht University. I didn't go there. I, I looked their stuff up uh, to a study done by um, Sander Thomas. And it was published by National Geographic. And what the study did, and it was purely about ego, it, it tested 200 school children, uh, and it picked them from the ages 9 to 12 in the first study, and then it went up to high school range for uh, follow-up studies. And they tested basically ego fall. They wanted to see uh, if an ego was shielding kids uh, when they took an emotional blow. Uh, and they also want to see how bad it was. Like, like what's the difference between somebody who's self-aware and somebody who has a lot of ego? And I got to tell you, just as a quick spoiler, Jack Donaghy, uh, the, the 30 Rock character, doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> that, is, that is a fabrication. Or if you know somebody like that, it, it's, it's a fluke of nature. Um, so they took these kids, these 200 kids, and they first started by judging their uh, self-esteem or, or their self-awareness. Uh, and the way they did this is they asked each kid, uh, well, they, they showed them their classmates and they had each one of their classmates rate them on a scale of, I think it was one to three uh, or one to four. No, it was one to three. So, so they each had to scale each other in popularity. It's how much do you like each other? And then they would ask the kids, how do you think you scored? So like uh, um, you, you, you would say, um, how much do you think Joe scored you on this one to three? And then you give us a number. So what other people think of you? Right. And they would just take the difference that the kids said. So if I said, uh, oh, Todd thinks I'm probably a three, and then you said two, that would go to the total score. It would be a difference. And on average, it seemed like most of these kids had about a 0.5 difference. Um, so most of the kids were about right with how much they were liked. So they thought they were higher than they yeah. were probably, right? A, a lot of the kids, they would skew higher. So they, <laughs> they thought they were a little bit more popular than they actually were. Um, 
the kids all thought they were playing a popularity contest. What they were actually doing is they were revealing their self-awareness, how much they, uh, their ego skewed them. And they took the kids and took their uh, ego scores and they waited for two weeks. They, they stopped their testing and they left. And then they came back and they played a completely different game. Now, usually in uh, psych testing, this would be, you're not supposed to reuse a subject because it, it skews them toward the next test. But they wanted to do that for this test because they needed those previous scores, the scores that showed how much the kids uh, thought their worth was. And what they did is they put them for the second test into um, basically these online profiles where four of them would be matched up. And of those four, one of them would be voted off. So it's almost like when you form a, a kid's band or like a, a boy band. Yeah. And it's like, oh, those three are good. Drop one. Drop That, that yeah. guy's goofy looking. The ugly or, kid's got to go. Yeah. Right. The ugly <laughs> kid's got to go. Yeah. The unpopular one has to go. And that's what they, that's what they did. They would drop one. And this was all fictional. Uh, they told the kids they had been voted on. None of them had been voted on. It was a trick. Uh, what they were actually doing is they were testing to see how well the high ego kids dealt with disappointment. So they would tell them, oh, I'm sorry, you got voted off. And they're shocked because they're the most popular kid in the room. Right. It's not possible. Something's wrong. Something's up. Right, exactly. And that's, that's what they found is uh, all the kids who had uh, rated themselves highly, uh, who had uh, basically an inflated ego, um, if they were less self-aware and had high ego, they took it the worst. That ego did not buffer them. That ego did not give them a shield. It actually made it much harder when they thought they had been voted off from this four-man band. It's crazy. Well, it's tough, right? Because the ego, you want, you, you want to be confident. We look up to people who are confident. But what's the line between being co- confident and being egotistical and just full of yourself and delusional? Right. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we want to be confident, but it's so hard to, to judge whether or not you have confidence or ego. Um, and that the, the big message for me so far has been self-awareness, is in all these tests, uh, every test we'll talk about today, all the studies, self-awareness is what saves you. The kids uh, with the high ego in this test, they took it very hard when they were disappointed and told they were knocked out. The kids that had self-awareness that demonstrated a, uh, a high accuracy for how well rated everybody else had rated them. So the ones that were the most self-aware, they did not bat an eye. When they got voted off the four-man band, they, they didn't react. They, they, they took it and in stride, and they just continued with the tests. So they, they did beautifully. And that just comes down to self-awareness. So self-awareness, from what I can read, it acts as a check on our reality. Uh, it doesn't need to be defended like ego does. And if you're caught up defending your ego, you're a lot less likely to make, uh, if you don't have to defend your ego, you're less likely to make costly mistakes. Or risky behavior, right? Right, exactly. Now, I'm guessing, since we're talking about him today as our main subject, Driscoll probably wasn't like the second category of kids. Oh, he, no. He wasn't oh, the, no. the self, uh, self-aware type. He was the egotistical. Uh-oh. Off the charts. <laughs> so what? Okay. This is what he said. And, and church means in front of everybody. And that's the thing. People act a certain way when they're in front of their friends and family, right? But then at work or if they're a leader of something, they usually put on their a better front. But this is what he said at a meeting. And for all of his church constituents, he bragged that he'd mow down all who questioned his vision. That there is a pile of dead bodies behind Mars Hill's bus and by God's grace it'll be a mountain by the time we're done 
That's you some either, brimstone stuff right there. <laughs> he said, you either get on the bus or you get a, run over by the bus. <laughs> not well, he was idea. also on a heavy metal album, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> your idea when you think of the church bus is going picking up the elderly for you know a Sunday <laughs> service. He's got the aviators on and right. get that out of my way. Um, so his ego going on, he, he started to bloggers dug up because he was making a lot of enemies by some of the things he was saying about being abusive. And mm-hmm. they, he, he got a pen name and he ghost wrote his own blog. And his, the name was, so it wasn't Mark Driscoll. It was William Wallace II. Very, sounds very, oh. very distinguished. So being a writer, you'll appreciate this. <laughs> so if you want to fight people on the blogs, get a, get a, don't do a Joe Anthony. Dude. Get, get a pen name, okay? Right. Get something from history like that. Something to make myself sound grand when I start slinging really childish yeah, stuff around. An, Ox- an Oxford education. Right. He lambasted America as a pussified nation. And he, he posted glossy pictures that mocked what he called male lesbians, men who think like women, or femans, women who think like men. So he's making up his own vulgar terms and his own uh, genres of discrimination. Right. Um, if you're going to be really heinous, have your own lexicon. Yeah, hating yeah. people. That, yeah, just putting. I've never even heard of the, any of these things. Uh, Mama's boys, Larry limps, um, rock free men who attended churches headed by female pastors. So then, you know, you, the, the female pastors are, have no credibility in his thing. Wait, wait, rock free men? Does that mean like guys that don't rock? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again. I'm actually kind of jealous of that one. The rest of them are heinous. That one, rock free men. It's pretty clever. Um, there was one, another one too, where there was a pastor in Colorado, and I've read this story. I've saw a documentary on him. His name is Ted Haggard. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm-mm. Well, he had a big mega church in Colorado. The thing that really stuck out to me was he got caught in a in a homosexual relationship using crystal meth. I mean, he he fell way off. And he got banned from his own state. So he he had an agreement that <laughs> he wasn't allowed to be in the state of Colorado for like two years. And that, that kind of stuck with me like, wow, I mean, you're really in bad shape. But you don't just get fired. You have to move. We'd have to move out of Oregon. We'd have to move to, you know, Utah. Well, once this podcast drops, that's what will happen here in Oregon with us. <laughs> so they asked him uh, in a in an interview about the Ted Haggard thing. And, and he blamed Ted Haggard's wife for him having a homosexual relationship, using methamphetamines. He says a lot of these pastor wives, this is Mark Driscoll saying, they let themselves go and they make the, so their husbands aren't attracted to them anymore. Oh, wow. That's Uh, his blaming mechanism. Yes. He kind of, he saw himself as like a Chris Rock of pastors. He, instead of most pastors would, um, let's say they'd mentor or they'd shadow or they want to be like Billy Crystal, right? Or Billy, um, Billy Graham. Crystal, Billy Graham, the the mega pastor, right, right, you know, who's got a great reputation, he's done it for fifty years, he's known all over the world. Not him. He 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 fashioned himself as Chris Rock, the the comedian, for brash style and being street and swearing and talking about sex and talking about women. So he thought he was just telling it like it is and being real. And what he's really doing is just uh, uh, wait, hold on. If he's fashioning himself up into Chris Rock, I don't remember Chris Rock logging in and making a blog <laughs> under a pseudonym like William Wallace. So <laughs> going after Eddie Murphy or one of the other pastors. Right, yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> so, so he wants to going be after Chris David Rock, Chappelle, <laughs> but he's more like the internet troll. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now we get to our second myth: the nation that once we see our ego is 
fully getting out of hand. How can we rein it in? I have a feeling that Joe's going to burst our bubble on this. Okay, so sometimes on this podcast, um, uh, behind the scenes, some of the times we do research, we label it as kind of like no-duh research. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not so much to... um, we're not speaking bad on the research. It's stuff that we kind of already suspect as humans. And that's what this falls into. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the science of the feedback system once it gets in place and how it builds narcissism. So it sounds to me like Driscoll had a lot of people who were uh, giving him positive feedback during his career. Uh, once he was established, once he was doing these big venues, these big groups that he was speaking to as a pastor... Um, he got people who were confirming his ego and worth every day. You're absolutely right. And I, I, I didn't, wasn't involved in this church, but I served at a church, a mega church, not this size, but very close. They had about 14,000 members. I was, I served in the security wing of a church that's about 3,000. And the pastor, he, he isn't just the leader of everybody. He is the brand and people come to see him and then people give money. So the more they like him, the more people come, the more money they get, the more fundraising they do, the more the church grows. So, and there's a, they have a whole pastoral staff of seven to eight. These mega churches have eight, nine pastors on staff for the ministry, the youth ministry, for the music, for senior ministry, all these different things. So they all, like any winning team or any winning company, Mm -hmm. if your church is successful, your Mars City, Mars Hills Church in Seattle, you're going to be recruited to go have your own mega church in Phoenix or Fort Lauderdale. It's franchising, right? Yeah, not just franchising, but other churches are going to see you as successful because they're like, "Well, our congregation is two thousand, but this guy's from a fourteen thousand. He learned from Mark Driscoll, so it's part ambition, right? And it's other, yeah. So they're going to ride this guy, and he's selling books, and he's getting famous, and that's going to make them famous someday, right? And and the reason I asked that question is because I want to put it into sort of like more realistic terms. Because whenever we talk about ego and we talk about characters who have a lot of ego, a lot of people at home, I feel like, are going to think what I think, which is that could never happen to me. There's no way I would let my ego or that narcissism get to me. Uh, but the the thing I want to point out, the reason I talk about no-duh research, is it doesn't mean ego is unearned. Like, Driscoll was clearly good at speaking. He was clearly good at leading. I mean, like you said, he was franchising. He wouldn't get that many people to follow him if he wasn't. Right, exactly. So he actually did. uh, From what we know, he earned that attention. He earned those numbers. And that's that's a quantifiable thing. When you pull in an X amount of money or you have an X amount of followers, that makes you like a CEO. That that makes you, you you can track, you have numbers, you'll have... A seasonal ebb and flow. I'm sure he had charts and data about when he got more followers than other times. And the research I got into uh, kind of breaks into that a little bit. Um, so, so to put this into focus, uh, I found a study um, by uh, Brad Bushman of Iowa State and Roy Baumeister in Case Western Reserve University. And they were doing a study called Narcissism, Negative Interpersonal Feedback, and Aggression. And for this, they tested um, 540 undergrad students. And whenever we talk about undergrad studies or uh, student studies, it comes with a a little bit of an asterisk, which is uh, students don't represent the rest of the world. They they will go and test people at colleges, 
And a, a group of college students doesn't necessarily reflect the same way as it does for adults and all other humans across all other demographics. So this is just sort of a general guide for like how ego is tested among people, uh, just just students basically. Um, but we can kind of uh, extract from this because ego, narcissism, and uh, people like Driscoll exist everywhere. There's there's crazy tyrants and leaders everywhere you go, um, and they found that. Um, the people who were tested, who had um, narcissistic or, or self-ego uh, personalities, they were more willing to be aggressive toward anyone that gave them a negative evaluation. So I'm, I'm going to say that in a couple of different ways, because I think that's extremely valuable to know. Um, so when they started these tests, the way they did this, they, they took these students and they, uh, they measured their self-esteem and narcissism, kind of in the same way the, the previous study did. They, they had like a rating and a metric system. And so they picked on the students that had tested for high narcissism, high ego. Uh, and they then gave them participants to interact with. So they would give them a neutral party, basically somebody who had nothing to do with them or their test to, to speak with after they had tested. Then they would give them, uh, not not then, they, they gave other students who had taken this test, they gave them somebody who had insulted them. So somebody would basically just walk up and insult them. And then they also gave them somebody who praised them. And they found out that um, anyone that was more self-aware took each of those in stride better. Um, however, somebody who came up and insulted them would be generally treated aggressively. Neutral third parties were also treated slightly aggressively uh, by... Um, people who had high ego, high narcissism. Uh, and then they tested uh, for evaluation. They would have people come up and give them feedback. And here's the, the part that really stuck out to me. The reason why I wanted to share this with you uh, about Driscoll is uh, anybody that came up and gave somebody who was exceptionally uh, narcissistic or exceptionally ego-driven, when they got uh, feedback, whether or not it was true, just any feedback at all that was perceived as uh, negative, they were willing to be more aggressive toward the person giving them feedback. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again, and I'm actually I'm going to quote their article. Uh, I, I can't repeat this enough and really sort of let it sink in because this struck out to me. It's like, oh, how do you break a narcissist feedback loop? Most people think it's to tell them the truth. The truth is going to be perceived as negative. Uh, they're going to punch you back. And they're going to punch you back, yeah. A narcissist is going to look at feedback of any type. If it goes against what they already believe, it's going to be looked at as negative and it's going to be treated aggressively and possibly violently. So here's from the article. Quote, Narcissists mainly want to punish or defeat people who have threatening, uh, who have threatened their highly favorable views of themselves. The authors note, People who are preoccupied with validating a grandiose self-image apparently find criticism highly upsetting and lash out against the source of it. So imagine Driscoll, somebody who has gathered followers, gathered people who are giving this positive ego feedback to him, basically building up his worth and repeating to him things he thinks about himself. Try giving somebody like that any feedback whatsoever that goes against that positive feedback. Well, and, and this is the reason I want to point this out because we had a lot of stories. There are no shortage of stories of egos out of control. Right. We had narrowed this down to this and then a story about John DeLorean, who was a CEO of General Motors. Right. But this was more interesting to us and not a nada because it was a church leader. And what does everyone think? Someone who's a spiritual leader shouldn't have this problem. And that's why we pointed this out because it does exist everywhere. Right. And, and to your point, 
they are not just a, the leader. People adored him, and they adored, they complimented him for years, and he got that momentum of that ego going. And, and every time he kept doing it, the more he did it, he got more money, he got more followers, he got more book deals. So there was a lot of, you know, uh, People helping him, what you said. And as a spiritual leader, he is perceived by most of the world as being closer to God. So then there, there, there's that superiority, too, that he had. Yeah, he's. it's not just the ego of, earned ego of being a CEO or a highly talented figurehead. He actually is a spiritual leader who has, in his own mind and in the minds of his followers, brought people to literal God. You can't be more justified in your ego than that. And yet here we are listening to his blog rants about nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next part we're going to talk about is risky behavior. And one, when the ego's out of control, you start getting riskier and riskier behavior. Um, a lot of the things, we start digging up things that happened that he'd done years ago about these blogs and, and people were digging, they were doing investigations on him. And then when he'd be called out on the carpet about it, most people would say, that was 14 years ago. I said those things now. I was a young, dumb kid. Right. Not this pastor. He stood by what <laughs> he said because he said, F you, what are you going to do about it? I said that now and I still believe it. I haven't changed. God hasn't changed, neither have I. Wow. His congregation, his followers, who you know who are the ones that pay him and the reason he's as famous and and popular as he is, begged him to get help. His church people, his, his, his associate pastors, the people on the board of directors said, get help. But they, for, for a lot long time, they just kind of looked the other way because he was still the star of the show, like a lot of sports teams do with their best athletes, a lot of coaches do with their best athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, musicians, right? Sometimes the lead singer can be a bit of a diva. Right. But we just let him go. So, so they were giving him that uh, that feedback I was talking about. They were telling him how to correct this behavior, and he they reacted were, violently, like the study group did. Yeah, he's yeah. He said, "If you don't like it, you can get a, you know get in front of my bus, and I can drive over you." Wow. Now, the big a big embarrassing thing for the church was this: he, him, and his wife bought, wrote a marriage. They co-wrote a uh, marriage book, and it was on the New York Times bestsellers list. Okay, that sounds sweet. But he got into some trouble. He went on some talk shows, and um, they had dug up some information that said that he was plagiar- he plagiarized some, some other writing. And then they dug up some more stuff. It turned out that the reason he was on New York Times bestsellers list, and, and the, the, the dollar amounts are here and there, but it's anywhere from 45000 to 210000 that he paid to multiple different, his church paid to multiple different agencies to make <laughs> his book a bestseller. And you being a writer, you've heard of writers doing this. Right, yeah. People will, uh, um, famously, politicians will sometimes go and buy a, a huge bulk of their own books, yeah. and then they will resell them to retailers. So basically, they get on the New York Times bestseller list because they literally bought enough to get themselves on the New York Times bestseller list. It's like list. 2 a.m. on a Tuesday night. You buy your own book and then give it out. Right. So he stole a lot of the, the material for the content from his book from other writers, <laughs> sold it, but had no problem saying it was his, and celebrating the fact he was a New York Times bestseller. So let me let me follow this again. The, the church congregation paid for this book 
and he stole the material from other people. So the the church paid for other people's words to be published into this book, basically. Yes. That's kind of amazing. (laughs) (laughs) In a bad way, I mean. Now, what happens um, when they finally can't take the heat anymore? So all these people who have, you know, rode the coattails and had all this success, um, they finally couldn't take it anymore with the abusive behavior. Mm. They all got together. So he had his supporters. Were they in front of the bus? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they got together. So he had his supporters, his core, but then he had some people that decided to get together and have a beat without him. And they went to the press and started reporting what was really going on in the meetings with the the brow beating and calling people fat and calling making talking down to women and talking down to to other people. So the most dangerous thing for any tyrant is to have people hold court without you, and that happened with him. Finally, okay. And I don't know if it was because they were the ones being abused or it's because they just couldn't watch it anymore. Okay. That brings us to our final point. If it takes a community to deflete our ego, then how do we obtain that community? How do we surround ourselves by people who will lift us up while at the same time grounding us in reality? How do we recognize the difference between positive thinkers who build us up and yes men who merely inflate us? So usually I try to draw from scientific sources for our research. Um, but today I went with a Forbes article that I really enjoyed. Um, in fact, it was a, a Forbes article that started by quoting uh, Jim Rohn, who said that uh, you're the average of the five people you spend the most of your time with. And I've always found that so valuable. I, I wanted to sneak that into this uh, podcast. Um, the idea is you don't want to become the Driscoll of your group. Uh, you shouldn't even be the smartest person in your group or the most successful. If you're the big fish, like if you're average five that you spend the most time with, and you can without question say, well, I'm the smartest, I'm, I'm the best speaker, I, I make the most money, then you've done something wrong with the friends you've made. Not necessarily a negative thing toward your friends, but it just means that you should have branched out and, and found people who you can strive to be, strive to emulate. Learn and grow from, right? Right, exactly. Hold yourself to a higher standard. Yeah, and you don't have to drop friends if you are already the smartest, most successful person in your friend group. That just means you keep them and you try to help elevate them, but you make more friends. You go looking for mentors and people that can help. Um, So people driven by ego, uh, like Driscoll, will do the opposite. And that's kind of how you can tell if you are in this ego-narcissism group. If you have made sure that you're the smartest and the most driven... Well, then you're setting up a cult. That's not a friend group. That, you need that's, that security. You need everyone saying, Joe's the best, Joe's the best. Right, exactly. And you you won't hear that surrounded. from the next tier up. Yeah. You, you want to go looking for people to elevate you. Otherwise, you're, you're basically building a group of followers. So don't be Driscoll. Uh, and have mentors. Uh, mentors, again, this, this isn't just me. This comes from you know, Forbes and uh, a lot of great sources that I read. Any, any leader book, really. You go out and look for any, any book or any article that talks about a good leadership. They immediately talk about mentorship. Um, mentors who have achieved high success in the skills or fields you're trying to enter. Um, mentors who are willing to give you honest feedback. Uh, like we said, uh, narcissists can't take good feedback. So they, they will punch you back if you start giving them feedback. So you want to find mentors who will give you truthful, honest feedback 
and you have to remind yourself not to be enough of a narcissist to attack them in return. And if you ever find that your ego requires you to defend yourself, then that means you might be a bit in trouble. That, that's when we start getting into Driscoll territory. So really what you want is, is people who help to sort of deflate that ego and are honest and productive. Um, even better, uh, have a constellation of mentors, not just one. Find uh, a mentor for things that you lack. Find mentors for, it doesn't even have to be somebody who like, like big brother style mentors you. You don't have to be like a Kung Fu master on a mountain where you go do their laundry. Um, you just have to find <laughs> yeah, good friends, people you go out to lunch with who, who can help you, you know, overcome gaps. And, and you can be open about too. You can just say, hey, I, I want to go to lunch and pick your brain about something. And, and they'll be flattered. Most, most people, even successful people I know, uh, they like being talked to in that way. They, they like being flattered. They like talking about how they did things. If they have a professional interest, then it's something they're going to want to share. So uh, mentors are a good way to see if your ego is taken over. Just ask yourself, do you have mentors? Or have you made sure that you're the top dog in your peer group? Uh, because if you're the highest authority, there may be a problem. I, I do want to just point out, uh, lastly, what a big shot he was. And I was in the Seattle uh, metro area at the time. And they were the their their mega church was the biggest baddest one around and the one that all the churches tried to model themselves after how big of a shot he was he was on the show nightline oh he was, yeah so then which is a national show that's i remember um, nightline he threw out a first pitch in a mariner game <laughs> so at a, at a major league baseball game he threw out the first pitch and he did a service in the seahawks stadium wow. so it doesn't get much so he was a legitimate seattle celebrity so that's that's like pitching at a Mariner game. That's like rock star level. I don't see a lot of pastors doing that. <laughs> no, no, right. So, and after all this stuff, he was dismissed from the church. Uh, it's 2014. He finally let go after all this stuff came up. Their congregation overnight went from 14,000 people attending to 6,000. Wow. They had his own constituents um, outside picketing. And he was being attacked in the media. He's had lawsuits. So he was ran out of town. And so I figured someone who screwed up this many times over this many years, been this mean to this many people, if the universe is the right place, I know God's into forgiving, but he probably should be out of the out of the church business, you would think, right? Right. Guess what, Joe? He bounced right back on his feet. <laughs> so kind of what we talked about before, he brought this congregation from zero. He was a founder mm-hmm. to 14,000 people. He got another shot. And if you want to go to his church, you can go find him in Scottsdale, Arizona. He's at Trinity wow. Church in South. So he once told his, um, when he was at Mars uh, Church, that he was the brand. And they couldn't do anything. He was right. As soon as he got fired, the church disintegrated. So now that disintegrated church, kind of like that, uh, the bridge they have in Arizona, they've trucked out there. They now have, they, Arizona's just basically collecting uh, people who have uh, relics from around the world. Well, and, and he brought some of his, some of his, we talked about before, the, his supporting cast. There was a couple of the people that he had problems with came with him and helped oh, to wow. set this up. And then two of the really big mega church board members are uh, Pastor Robert Morris and Jimmy Evans, and they're both big Texan mega church guys and they're on the board of directors so I guess in life there's lots of chances for people like Mark 
Wow. Well, I hope that he is longboarding through the hot Arizona sun every day. <laughs> I don't know that he actually longboards. In my mind, he is. But, wow. So he so that ego bounced right back for him. Yeah. And it's it's probably not a church of the size it was, the caliber. Right. Yeah. But but safe to say that that this new church pays for a nice house for him that any of us would be would love to live in and right. <laughs> nice fat salary and a Mercedes Benz for the wife and. I'm just dying to know what his new blog name is. Like, what heinous stuff is he writing that we'll find out in 14 years about? And I thought he would legally movie? change his regular name. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. Still Driscoll. As Americans, we, we can be attracted to ego for good reason. Ego can look a lot like confidence from the outside. But we have to remember, ego lacks the substance and support that true self-awareness gives us. Ego isn't a shield. It's a vulnerability. A vulnerability you build with the participation of willing followers. Whether it's misguided friends who aren't comfortable telling you the truth or underlings who rely on you for a paycheck. However your ego gets inflated, you'll spend the rest of your life defending it. If you spot ego in someone else, think twice about associating with them. Beware the man and woman who feels the need to be superior. They will fight hardest to hold on to their social superiority. And they will hold it against you if they feel you've insulted their ego. If you're a narcissist, they might even swerve a church bus at you. Lastly, you should seek out mentors and successful friends. The slowest, saddest death you can experience is surrounding yourself with friends who aren't comfortable giving you feedback. Remember, you are the average of the people you surround yourself with. Raise your average. Keep exceptional minds in your orbit. Thank you for listening to the Reengineered You. You can find us on reengineeredyou.com, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and of course YouTube. Joe. Uh, you can log into thereengineeredyou.com and argue with us. Uh, if you find any flaws in the research or if you're curious, uh, we encourage you to look up and read anything about the subject you want. Do not take us as an authority. Do your own research. That's really how you learn from the best sources is th- seeking things out. And we do love and appreciate your feedback. We don't know. And we love arguing with you, too. We love the love, but we love arguing with you. We don't know everything, but we definitely have an opinion on everything. Absolutely. 